Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. It's a big Monday. It's going to be a huge news week. What do we got, Molly? God, it is. Ne- is it? It's never ending the news weeks. This is, thank God it's Monday, though, because there were tons of stories mm. over the we weekend. Work. We work. We, we work. We work. Yes, we yes. work. It's Monday. <laughs> TGI Monday. Happy <laughs> Don Julio on Monday. We work. Anyway. We are opening the show today with an absolute banger of an interview. Such yeah. a sharp, phenomenal reporter. A conversation yeah. about one-click checkout, the whole mm. ecosystem uh, with the scoop machine, Malik Morris, from the information we've done. One of his stories, like, for the past three weeks. Yes. About we bold and fast. So we just went to the yeah, source. Well, we want to reward the journalists who originate these stories and have them on the pod and talk to them firsthand. And it's just great for you as the audience, um, I think as a proxy um, to learn who are the reporters, how they do their jobs and who are the ones doing the real work because there's so much reaggregation that goes on. And listen, there's a lot of commentary. And we're going to just take you straight to the source. So we go very deep into Bolt and fast what went wrong at Bolt, that big ABG Forever 21 lawsuit. Uh, and uh, the the Noti gang, the people who have notifications turned on on YouTube, loved our segment with Malik. He's so good. And yeah. really, you can tell the reporters who really know their beats. He knows every single thing about it. Then mm. we have a fun little update on the tweets that we were just trying to like ignore over the weekend. Something, something, Web3 going great, a board ape drop and a massive gas fee surge and another Solana outage. And we just begrudgingly mm. break it down. <laughs> and then uh, we wrap with uh, We Live in the Future segment with Gravity Sketch. It's our startup of the day slash We Live in the Future. It's a VR tool for designers to collaborate and build stuff like footwear or cars or your uh, new backyard uh, collaboratively. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Our Crowd. Our Crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing... You can join our crowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist. Fiverr, get access to millions of freelancers around the globe to help turn nothing into something today. Go to Fiverr.com and use code Jason for 10% off. That's F-I-V-E-R-R.com and use code Jason. And First Republic Bank where everybody gets a personal banker who's reachable by phone, email, or text, and through First Republic's banking app. Learn more at firstrepublic.com startup. Member FDIC equal housing lender. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. Molly's here. And Monday, Monday. Feels like the world is... Um, a nightmare. Ex- it feels like the world's moving <laughs> at a very accelerating pace. Like I say with the world's biggest smile, a nightmare, a complete ongoing. It's just things Joe. are moving very fast. Like, they're moving it, fast. We had like Trump and like <laughs> Ukraine and a pandemic and a stock market crash and a stock market boom. Elon's buying Twitter. And apparently a stock market crash again. It just, it's like hard to, it feels like everything is happening in like, it must be a simulation, right? It's just like things are moving at such a increasingly interesting pace uh that it feels like that so anyway it's monday which means there's a lot of news uh but we're very lucky to have a breaking news old school journalist on the program today like somebody who actually makes phone calls and spends more than four hours on a piece and that person's name is uh malik morris and he works at the information which if you don't subscribe to 
go ahead and shoot the lock off your wallet and spend the 25 bucks. Welcome to the pod, Malik. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's uh, quite an entrance, quite an intro. I know. Yes. Sorry, we're making Should you we? blush. We're making you blush. <laughs> well, you're making me nervous. <laughs> where, where, uh, let me ask, where did you work before the information? Uh, so, uh, I was in school before the information. Oh, um, okay. So I, I, I worked in retail, I'm um, in uh fashion retail for 10 years before starting at the information. And then during that time, I went to grad school for journalism. Oh. Um, shout out to Craig Newmark school of journalism at CUNY. Um, and Very then joined cool. the information as a fellow and then halfway through the fellowship got hired, um, permanently. Um, and I've been there since last January. Uh, wow. friend, of the, friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Craig yes. Newmark. <laughs> yes. Great guy. Yeah. Boy, uh, you found your calling in grad school. Yeah. Way to go. Okay. Near the, I mean, I know we're just making you blush now and we'll stop any minute and just talk about the work. <laughs> but well, yeah, I mean, but you're Molly, talking to a couple of former journalists, and we're very impressed. <laughs> no, no, that feels great. <laughs> Thank you. You, you. you took the right route because most journalists wind up trying to build a set of clips, yada yada, and so they do Huffington Post or Business Insider or whatever it is. That's like more content farmy. You don't have time to call people on the phone, do long firm journalism. I mean, some of those places do do it at times, but it's not the norm. Usually, they put you know, the early reporters on like, here, just rewrite this press release, or, you know, here's a tweet, make a story out of it. <laughs> here's, mm -hmm. a, here's a tweet that mentions Elon or, <laughs> you know, Biden or whatever. But okay, so you're at the information. And yeah. uh, you started writing some really interesting stories about two uh, specific companies that have been in the news. Mm -hmm. And they kind of are having this really weird dance. And uh, you've broken a lot of the news about it. Of, of course, I'm talking about this fast checkout space. Uh, which there's two companies in fast.co which shut down um, we've had dom on the program and then ryan breslau's uh bolt which we've also, we also had ryan on the program um so how did you get on this beat i guess to start and then i guess we'll jump into the stories and so my reporting journey with the one click checkout the world of one click checkout um started last summer um last august i wrote a story about a couple of the checkout startups that were trying to give or working to give non-Amazon merchants the uh, ability to offer customers an Amazon Prime-like checkout experience, you know, where shoppers can purchase goods without having to create a new account and input their shipping and credit card information for each purchase they make, right? Um, that story profiled three companies, a very small young startup called PeachPay, um, the veteran in the space, um, Bolt, and then the ill-fated Fast, which, as you mentioned, closed its doors last month. Um, and it was interesting because as someone who worked in retail for a decade um, before becoming a journalist and now covers retail um, as a journalist, it, commerce lives and dies by checkout. So the fact that you would have companies trying to offer accelerated um, purchase experiences for brands and retailers that don't want to sell their wares on Amazon makes total sense to me. Um, so and in that regard, the story, it passed the smell test in my um, opinion. Um, but after that story published last August, um, I started hearing rumblings from industry insiders about Fast, in particular, not having a real business. Um, and I, I thought that was interesting, right? Um, and I had been hearing it from just various people over the course of a few months. Um, and then when I went digging, um, what not having a real business amounted to was that Fast had built a stable of very small merchants with very little in annual sales. 
Um, and this was intentional um, on the CEO, Dom Holland's part. Um, he was going the route of Shopify and giving mom and pop retailers the tools to sell their goods online without having to work with Amazon, right? Um, noble cause. Um, but in fast case, um, these merchants already had a ton of well-known checkout buttons for customers to choose from. That included, of course, PayPal and in some instances, um, Amazon Pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, most customers as we all know, are, comp- are more compelled to click on PayPal than they are to select a button powered by a company they never heard of, right? So this meant that Fast was taking a tiny slice of an already eaten through pie, which mm. led to the company generating less than a million in revenue um, in 2021. Now, this is all so intricate, right? It must be said that for checkout software firms who scale, it needs to process hefty transaction volumes. So think Shopify, right? And Shopify Shop Pay, their checkout solution that earns billions a year in revenue. But that's because it powers checkout for millions of merchants. Um, and that's because checkout firms only take a small percentage for each sale and then they have to pay interchange fees to their partners. So it's a very complicated space. Um, Fast had a faulty merchant acquisition strategy, which it tried to um, course correct a little too late. Um, while raising a bunch of money and then spending a bunch of money, um, right. so that's that. That was my foray in, in, into into all of this. Um, and I, I wonder. We should almost back up too and say that the reason, and this will sort of lead into my next question. A big part of the reason this got so heated so soon is Amazon's patent on one click checkout expired, in and all of a sudden yes. in twenty seventeen, right? And so all of these companies then thought. Okay, Greenfields galore to capture all these transactions. Correct. But all of those big names were still in the space. Like, why do you think? And it's interesting, there, by the way, Molly, that, that yeah. remember that patent was a business process patent, a very controversial, super controversial, yeah, type of patent that people didn't think would actually hold up. It's interesting that the industry didn't even try to go after them, but continue. right, or yeah. they sort of did, but they failed because Amazon had so much money. So it was always mm-hmm. like a really interesting yeah. setup to this. Mm-hmm really then ultra heated um, space. But I wonder like who thought, I mean, apparently a lot of investors, right? Thought it will just give hundreds of millions of um, dollars to companies that are going to be competing still with PayPal, Amazon, and then even eventually shop pay. Mm-hmm. Like so, walk us through that background and why anybody thought this was going to work. <laughs> so the, the, I mean, I guess I'm going to be a little more controversial here. So yes, PayPal um, has accelerated checkout. Um, you know, Stripe is is trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, the, the legacy payment processors, right? But they also have tons of other features, right? And so being like, the idea of specialization is very important um, and can also scale. Um, I mean, and what you're getting is actually the primary criticism of the one-click checkout space that's often lodged, lodged at companies like Bolt and fast when it was around, um, that it's just a feature, right? But I'll argue that it isn't just a feature, it's an ecosystem. As I said, mm-hmm. commerce lives and dies by checkout. And there are trillions of dollars being transacted each year around the world. And fintech firms can build large and profitable businesses taking small cuts of those transactions. It just takes time. And this is all happening at a, t- at a, at a moment, especially during the pandemic when e-commerce was ramping up, online shopping adoption was ramping up. and the VC market was really, really hot, like hot, like the sun molting. And uh, they were just willing to throw cash. Right. And so a lot of the criticism 
of this just being a feature that these companies were getting raising mega rounds at insane valuations. But I, I, I will argue that what they were doing, what they are trying to achieve, um, to me makes sense and is absolutely useful and can scale, but it just is not going to happen in a time frame of this person raised at a $10 billion valuation and now they should have revenue at like $200 million within just three years of launching, you know? It's time for another R Crowd deal of the week. Right now, you can join R Crowd's investment in Sotero. According to the deal memo, Sotero has developed a patented new approach to data protection. This new technique eliminates the gaps of traditional methods by securing any data asset, whether it's on premises or in the cloud. And according to their deal memo, Sotera is trusted by one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies. You can invest in Sotera at rcrowd.com slash twist today. And all over the world, companies like Sotero are innovating and driving returns for investors. Rcrowd analyzes many of these companies, then they select the ones with the greatest growth potential and they bring them to you. They invest from personalized medicine to robotics to cybersecurity, where companies spend $150 billion annually. Rcrowd identifies innovators so you can invest when growth potential is greatest, and that's early. So if you're an accredited investor, you can join Rcrowd for free at OURCROWD.com slash twist and review all the current deals. That's Rcrowd.com slash twist to sign up for free. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, yeah, this is a, a good point for, to explain exactly why this feature is not just a feature. It's a, it's a bit of a network play because if you're a merchant A and you have a million customers, um, all of them get cookied. You now have their address, their billing information, everything, um, is, you know, locked into their browser. When they go to the next site, merchant B, merchant B, uh, if that you happen to have bought something from, forever 21 now you go to zara if they're both part of the network the zara person doesn't have to refill in their information right and then the next person does it and so everybody who joins these networks then gets to take out what does it take 90 seconds for somebody to fill in their address their shipping address mm -hmm. their credit card information even if you're mm -hmm. using like the chrome extensions or LastPass or one of these you know uh browser extensions you still have to put in your your cc number or something mm -hmm. and then right. auto populate it so they, they do make things elegant um, and they, there is a network play there, but certainly overfunded and the personalities seemed just uniquely, you have this like Coke Pepsi kind of situation where they're going at it and then both CEOs seem to be crazy narcissistic uh, millennials or Gen Zs. Maybe you could speak to like this crazy Dom character versus the crazy paranoid Ryan King character, because that's, I think what I have the story here is that you have these two very colorful. They're founders. very attention grabbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I, I think that they're uh, very different, right? Um, I think with Dom, first of all, Dom had a questionable business pass. Um, yes. Uh, NPR did a, a really great story about um, a uh, tow truck um, startup he had back in Australia that, he ended up being incredibly litigious um, with the Australian government, <laughs> which is yeah. quite unheard of <laughs> for a startup. Um, and he was definitely flashy. Um, as we pointed out, um, myself and my actually very brilliant um, colleague, Kate Clark at The Information, who really is the actual scoop machine uh, that we worked on about just not only just the money that he was spending, but the way extravagantly spending it 
you know, NASCAR sponsoring NASCAR um, drivers um, having these flashy offsites um, that's supposed to be recruiting events, but then uh, like in, in Tampa, but they're not actually recruiting anyone from Tampa. Um, mm. So there's that. I think with Ryan Breslow as a character, um, I, I, I know the tweet there that you all are referring to um, about, you know, Stripe and, uh, and, and Y Combinator, um, which I read through a couple of times and thought was, um, I can imagine why it's controversial, but looked at it and said, this actually feels just a little bit nuanced. And, you know, this is this person's experience. Um, and I also think that the age, he's actually younger than me, which is trippy. Um, and the fact that he's helming this company that's raised so much money at huge valuations. Um, I think on that surface feels, and also, you know, he, he, um, is a dancer and has a dance, you know, company and all that stuff. So there's a lot of a mystique to the Ryan Breslow character, um, that I don't necessarily feel is super dubious, but I can imagine it's super eccentric. Um, whereas Dom Holland had a history of very, very unkosher business practices that mm-hmm. seem to follow him to fast as well. Yeah, Ryan's 27. I don't know how Dom is, but Dom did have that background. I think when we he's all a bit read, older, I think, yeah. Yeah, he's older. Um, but he plays younger. I think he plays. He does. <laughs> yes. He can play yes. younger characters. He's like one of those Quite actors who does it age. Quite like on still purpose, in high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but w- I, yeah, I mean, I think going into that mafious, you know, thread, we we went on, we we broke it down here. You're, I think you're right. It's a very nuanced take because. It is true. There is a technique. Listen, I was a journalist and I spent the last 11 years investing and I was on Team Uber. There was a, there are very explicit technique. There is a very explicit playbook and technique of if you invest in company A, you can't invest in B. You, you invest in Coke, you can't get Pepsi. You invest in Uber, you don't get Lyft. It just makes total sense. People don't want to have mm-hmm. conflicts. So since you VCs don't want to have conflicts in their portfolio because it looks bad um, and it's hard to manage, you can actually work that. Which right. is just people do it with me all the time. Like, hey, just put twenty five k in, and I'm like twenty five thousand dollars. We're trying to put five hundred or a million in, and they're like, yeah, yeah. And they just go and they try to get twenty five k checks from everybody, fifty k checks, just to block you from eventually putting a bigger check. And so when you get that mm. small check offer, most VCs just they know like it's like oh you, you can't use a Jedi mind trick on us. Like that's right. not going to work. <laughs> right. Um, and you just say, thank you, but we want to keep our options open to write a bigger check so we can actually have a play in the space. Um, right. And right. so that part was true, uh, for sure. But he was totally successful, independent of all this. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's interesting. Well, um, and then that sort of gets us to like your latest scoop in a way. Which So, okay, you have this market dynamic, w- what uh, producer Nick is calling it's a it's a market pull approach, right? The assumption that if you're a business that can capture even a tiny percentage of the volume of transactions that's occurring, you're going to make a lot of money. Obviously, that's the investment thesis behind all of the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars going into these companies and the crazy valuation. But then now it turns out that (laughs) according to your uh, most recent article, both of them were terrible businesses. Both was too. Okay, so I I just want to start (laughs) by saying that both stories are not the same as Fast. As I said, Fast was a startup with a faulty merchant acquisition strategy and a leader with the questionable business path. Bose, on the other hand, is a company with maybe more capital than it needs that has gone through some changes in the beginning of this year and is confronting big competition and a cooling venture capital market. So I'll just start by, by saying. Okay. That. Yeah. Okay. So the fundamentals are not the same. The fundamentals are not the same. Stipulated. So I'll just, uh, 
So I'll back up a little bit and, and kind of continue what I was saying about fast. So obviously they were going after a lot of really small merchants, right? So they're capturing merchants who already have a bunch of checkout options and maybe the customer not going to click on the fast button on their, their transaction page. Right. Um, and so that means they're taking a tiny slice of a tiny slice of a tiny slice. Right. So to course correct, uh, to correct this course of action, last spring, Fast told its salespeople that they would focus on sign- signing on brands and retailers with around $10 million, million or more in annual sales. Um, that's actually counter to what Dom told me last summer when he was like, they're going after um, companies with less than $10 million in sales, but that's not the here or there. Um, the hope was to build a big enough stable of those types of merchants that Fast would process transactions for and then generate tons of revenue. That plan didn't work, according to former employees, because the big merchants didn't see the upsides of working with a company that had very small brands and very with very little customers. Um, as we, as you all pointed out brilliant, brilliantly, um, these checkout options work best for merchants when they can cross pollinate customers, right? So it makes less sense for marquee brands to integrate a one click checkout option that isn't going to bring them more customers. Now we can go over to Bolt, right? Their strategy was different from the outset. First, instead of being a button on the checkout page. Bolt is checkout as a software service. So when customers click um, checkout on one of, on a, one of Bolt's merchant, merchant sites, the experience from start to finish is powered by Bolt. That leaves them in a less precarious position because the company is not hoping a customer will recognize its name and click on this button when buying something online. The customer then has no choice because they Got are it. the checkout system. Where mm-hmm. things get tricky for Bolt is that it decided last year to change its revenue model. The company used to charge its merchants a fee for its checkout software in addition to the fee it took to process transactions. Um, Bolt decided to stop charging clients for its software and only take a 1% or 2% cut from the transactions it actually processed. Now, here's where things get tricky. Um, under the new revenue structure, when a customer creates a Bolt account with Merchant A, that merchant doesn't get charged a fee to process the transaction from this newly created customer. When that same customer goes to Merchant B's site and buys something in one click, because it has a Bolt account now, then Bolt would take a, cur- a cut from Merchant B's transaction. But this is predicated on a customer making a journey from one Bolt merchant to another, which is very Got precarious it. territory. Okay. Um, so when I spoke to Ryan Breslow, um, founder and former CEO of Bolt, um, back in December, he said this fee change was to incentivize big name merchants such as Casper, who they've signed, and Fanatics, who they've also signed, to sign up and bring their trove of customers with them. The theory obviously is the bigger the network, the easier it is to sign on big merchants and power the entire checkout system, which will then ensure that Bolt gets a cut of every transaction happening on an online store and revenue will grow exponentially from that. But in the short term, that pivot, um, which some former employees spoke to said was implemented around last fall, it set Bolt's um, revenue projections back a little bit. Mm. And, and Ryan Breslow told me this himself when we spoke in December, you know, before he stepped down as CEO. Um, so what happened is Bolt ended up having around $28 million, um, in revenue. Um, and from the transactions it powered, according to a document that we viewed, um, instead of the around $40 million it was projecting to have, according to people who were familiar with those projections um, when I asked at the time. So mm. it's a little, it's, 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 I think it's, it seems it's like a good different. strategy because you, ins- you, you take out the friction of a merchant having to decide, ah, I got to pay another SaaS fee. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, listen, it's free. And if you bring somebody to the network, um, you don't pay. So if you brought them, you know, to the party, we're not going to charge them. But the next person, like yeah, we'll charge them. 
Yeah, it's just they they probably should have just done those one offs with specific targeted customers, not a general one. So if you want to join the network and you come in the front door, yeah, pay for the software, pay for this. But when they were going after those strategic ones, maybe they should have done that. But I've seen that in business before, you know, right, if you were paying if you if the if the objection, the sales team came to say, listen, the objection is this 50k SaaS charge we have. Say, well, what if we got rid of it? It's like, yeah, we're going to lose 10 million this year. But what the network will build and then we'll right. that'll be defensible because then each merchant gets easier and easier and easier and if it's easier right. to sign them then it's easier to sign the next one and then right. all of a sudden you would get this velocity that would be very very hard we all know how hard it is to build something out of nothing i'm pretty sure that's what all of our founders here at launch are doing all day every day that's what the startup game is all about and it is really easy to give up turns out what you need is a little help. According to a study conducted by Fiverr, 25% of people surveyed said they had a business idea in the past 18 months, but almost 60% of them never pursued it. And the majority said it's because they just didn't have the resources. So here's how Fiverr can help. Fiverr's talent marketplace has millions of freelancers across the globe. And these freelancers are accessible in just a few clicks. They have experts in design, data, marketing, website building, music, video animation, so much more all of the ingredients that you need to make that mvp just search for the service you need set the timeline and the price and then fiverr will provide a list of freelancers who meet your criteria you can look through their portfolios read the reviews know the exact cost before you pay remember every successful something was once nothing so head to fiverr.com to ours and turn nothing into something today you'll get 10 percent off your first order by using the code jason at f-i-v-e-r-r.com that's fiverr.com. Use the code Jason. Right. Um, now, is Amazon in this space too now? Where I heard that they're extending theirs to third-party sellers. So if you're a third-party mm-hmm. seller on yeah. Amazon, and this one seems like the really clever idea. So Amazon made this incredible decision at some point, which really is amazing in terms of dealing with the government and antitrust. We're like, if you want to sell stuff on Amazon, you can. Uh, we'll let third-party merchants on. But now what they're doing, Molly, I think is the the third party merchants can use Amazon checkout on their websites. And yeah, every buy time right. buy with prime. And buy so every prime. time yeah. we, I mean, they have felt the pressure, the competitive pressure. Yeah. yeah. But think about this, like it, one of the big decisions of all these companies, and I was an investor in one, like smarty pants vitamins, I was an investor in, and it was always like, ah, do we put stuff on Amazon? And then we lose people going to our site and they take a big cut. And now it's like, oh, but we get this other benefit on our site. Cause when you go to a site, I'm like, I always check, is it on Amazon? Because I want all my orders in one place. Okay, if it's right. not on Amazon, not Prime, I trust that. Okay, then I will order it off of their site and go through the couple of steps. This is like, I think, yeah. going to crush everybody because now you're a third-party merchant. You have no choice. If you're considering being a third-party merchant on Amazon, this makes it a no-brainer. Yes and no. Um, okay. mm-hmm. So Amazon is not trustworthy, right? And a lot of uh, tell so, so, me more. So what do you mean I, when you say that? <laughs> I'll predicate this by saying that the big thing was this is a logistics play, ostensibly, right? Because it basically means that you, with with the buy with Prime means that customers that merchants, non Amazon merchants, can offer their customers same day delivery, right? Two day delivery, the same benefits they get with their Amazon Prime account, right? But logistics and fulfillment is a, is an even trickier space than checkout because it's physical goods, right? So in order for this to work with Amazon, ostensibly these merchants have to put their goods in Amazon's warehouse, right? Um, 
do I want my items on the same shelf where Amazon can see and then copy right. Right. and then it's on Amazon basic. So yeah, that cause that, that, that customer who, um, like you is saying, well, is this on Amazon? Right. Yep. So Amazon's not trustworthy and that makes a ton of sense. And in fact, third party, it's third party vendors have already been complaining about that when they exactly. list on Amazon. Exactly. So if so, you're not on Amazon, there's a reason is what you're saying. Right. Yep. So if they're even going to feel compelled to to offer this, knowing that they might lose their customer essentially, because they might just want to go to Amazon anyway. And mm-hmm. then also if the if it is checkout, because we're still not clear on what this is and how it's going to play out. Um, beyond Amazon's immediate network right now, me as a, as a merchant, am I even going to get that customer data? Which as we know with Apple's privacy changes, it's very difficult to, to target customers. Very, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get that first party data, which means customer information that's, that's coming through your own channels, whether it's your online site or your app. Um, and then being able to funnel that into Intel to target advertising to also retain the customers you already have. And if I complicate that with the checkup how by Amazon, then I might just be kissing customer data goodbye because Amazon going to use that for itself, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it sounds like a really smart play. It, it sounds like, and actually, um, in some of the reporting that we've done, um, it, it, it sounds like a Shopify crusher. It sounds, if anything, more so like really trying to just go after Shopify. Yeah. Um, but whether or not it's going to succeed in doing just that from merchants that are not on Amazon for a reason um, remains to be seen. So I get the impulse to be like, oh, this is going to crush everyone. But I'm like, mm, but it might not, you know? Fascinating. Right. It Fascinating. just does help. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. I, don't, I did this the other day. Amazon was always like on the DL with basics. Like you do a search, some basics come up. They don't rank themselves first. I think they knew how to play the game. And then since I buy Amazon basics on a pretty regular basis, it was in my navigation bar. Now, I don't know if they're showing Amazon basics in everybody's navigation bar. But when you go to a, a one of the vendor pages, there's a thing called new arrivals. So I go to the anchor page because I'm obsessed with anchor chargers and all this stuff, as you guys know. And I look at the new page and then I basically look at the new offerings and I buy stuff. I'm like, oh, there's a triple charger. I want that. Now I went to the Amazon basics pages and I started scrolling down and I had no idea the breadth of products that they're doing. But if you scroll down this page, you're like, okay, they're doing towels. Okay, fine. They're doing mouthwash. Okay. They're doing dog toys they're doing tampons amazon's doing tampons okay and and dog toys and stools and you you mm-hmm. just keep scrolling down and it's like they're wow, going they're doing into that vino inc- lotion sorry <laughs> they're, they're doing kettles they're doing everything thing. they're doing <laughs> fire pits and you're just like wait a second wow they're doing everything and, and yeah. you know i had no idea but they're doing wrenches like hammers and it, it just never ends and I think that they've blown the doors off this. It's going to a totally different place now. So this mm-hmm. is potentially where a Bolt or a Fast or certainly a Shopify, well, I guess not a Fast, a Bolt or a Shopify mm-hmm. could certainly be saying, one, we won't do this to you, but also to consumers. And one of the notes mentioned this, that, that the payment network itself should be privacy preserving by default. And that mm-hmm. could be a selling point for me saying, not only don't I want to shop on Amazon, I don't want it to have my data right or right. anybody else but you right like i just want to click right. out this one time mm-hmm. that's it we're done yeah here. <laughs> and like it, cash it, yeah <laughs> and again and it complicates the, the whole thing now especially in the light of apple's idfa um their, their app tracking transparency which which allows iphone users to a- opt out of being tracked across different apps um which was 
invaluable data for advertisers, for merchants. Um, It's all about loyalty, right? It's about you have to build a brand now. Like you have to be a reason for to be a a shopping destination for a customer, whether you're a a brand selling, you know, goods or you're a retailer selling, you know, goods from a trove of of different brands. Um, And getting into bed with Amazon seems counter to that, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, I, I am not bullish on, on on buy with Prime as as um as an overtaker of this payment space or even the logistics space for that matter. This week in startups is supported by First Republic Bank. A seamless banking experience is something we all want, but what does it really mean? At First Republic, it means you have access to your own personal banker, someone who knows your name and is there for you when you need them. So whether you're browsing their full suite of services or just have questions about your bank statement, you can reach out to your personal banker by phone or email and through the best-in-class banking app. Ashley, a managing director on my team, has worked with First Republic on one of our fund accounts for almost four years, and she loves their customer service and support. See what a difference an always-on seamless banking experience can make for you. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more, that's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Interesting. What's this link.co that Stripe is doing now? I guess they are going to have, I, I saw they are going to do their own kind of fast checkout, I guess. Are they going to compete against their investment? Um, so what the mafia does. <laughs> so that I'm not <laughs> yeah. super sure, but I have to look into that myself. Yeah. Um, it, it does seem like they accelerated checkout was kind of already in their pipeline. It just wasn't super like Mm. promoted or merchant facing, um, you know, in the way that fast was and and bolts is, um, but it it makes sense. But again, like I said, when you have a company like Stripe that has Mm. an assortment of features, um, and product offerings, it's like how dedicated can they be to just the one click checkout solution, sure. you know? Yeah. If, 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 if their bread and butter really is payment processing, you know? It's right. like that's, yeah. that's where these startups are coming in and are, are, are trying to, um, make a space for themselves is saying that we specialize in these things. So mm. you can always count, even if you look at Shopify's ecosystem, the re- it's, it's, it's really, in itself an app store with a bunch of independent vendors right mm. and the reason why that works so well is because those each of those vendors specialize in that feature that that merchant needs you know in a way that stripe maybe may not be able to when it comes to one click specifically so does that partly answer the question of why stripe would fund fast instead of just building this is that what you're saying just keep it simpler <laughs> by making it a different because that is still an open question right it Clearly. is a question. That is that is a big part of the thing that I know I'm still trying to get answers on and trying to investigate. Um, I know Ryan Breslow would say that that's just because Stripe wanted to come after both. Just to be mean. <laughs> just yeah. being mean and spiteful. <laughs> um, I think it is a great question. I, I, what we've seen with the saga that happened at Fast that is that it's not what we thought it was, which was just an acquisition play, which you invest in this company and then uh, eventually you'll acquire it. <laughs> Um, and so you have those capabilities kind of, you know, built in, whether that company operates independently or whether it's an aqua hire that obviously was not the case. So their actual intentions to invest in fast remains to be seen, at least on my end. Hmm. Uh, we should talk about the lawsuit, Molly. We talked we about should. this last week. 
This is another crazy wrinkle. Forever 21's pairing company owns 5% or has the option to, of warrants to buy 5%. Then they launched a $100 million Allegedly lawsuit. the option to own 5%. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, do that. Uh, so... And What's then, going on with this lawsuit? I have we had theories, but I'm curious what you think. Yeah, disastrous implementation, among other I also <laughs> accusations. Have theories as well. Yeah. Um, my reporting has been focused on the the nuts and the bolts. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't pardon the pun. Um, yeah. of the company of Bolt's business. Um, and not necessarily the lawsuit. I mean, my st- I worked on the story literally a day <laughs> after the. Yeah. The, um, the Bloomberg published a story about the lawsuit. Um, here's the thing. When you have brands as big as Forever 21, legacy retailer like Forever 21 or brands that have been around for a long time, like Lucky, um, brand and a lot of, a lot of ABG's portfolio and they're doing online commerce, their backend system could be a mess and trying to integrate, you know, your checkout solution into those um, systems can take a very long time. What I understand is from reading the, the, uh, the lawsuit myself um, is what Bolt was promising in terms of timeline of being able to integrate either just the checkout software itself or a certain feature like the loyalty program um, into ABG's um, portfolio companies um, online sites and what, the timeline that actually ended up happening were different. Mm. I don't know that that warrants a lawsuit <laughs> um, because <laughs> that just sounds like the world of startups. I mean, mm. how many, that just sounds like just the world of commerce. Like how many brands are saying, you know, yeah. we're going to release this car and then it's taking, taking a year because the, the software and the, the, the integration the, the integra- and, the, and the reality yeah. of bringing things into fruition takes a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, the epicenter of all this is that 5% ownership yeah. thing. Yeah. And that state of play. So is you're with I'm us really on this. This is a is where, negotiation. Is where, yes. That's, that's where things get interesting to me. I can't speak on this. So alleged, I don't know any of what's mm-hmm. going on, but it does seem like that 5% ownership stake, um, that warrant that ABG may want to exercise right now. Um, right. May or maybe they've been diluted. So maybe Bolt raised money, diluted down that 5%, or they're arguing that 5%. And there's some contentiousness about this, you know, $500 million windfall, I guess, is right. what it would approximately be worth for mm-hmm. this retailer. That's like really big money for them. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're using, maybe they said, listen, we want our 500 million, get us out of this. Mm-hmm. Or we want to execute on that. Maybe Bolt didn't want them to execute on it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. or they, maybe they wanted to sell it to somebody. So maybe Stripe wants to buy that 5% or something, right. you know, and they want the option to buy those shares and then sell them. And mm-hmm. so then this chess game goes on. We don't see the chess game. We just see the result. And the result is, hey, well, you put us in your deck. And this is where the securities fraud thing is going to be particularly damaging. Mm. Um, this is my observation, not, I don't think this was in anybody's stories. But when they claimed, that Bolt was raising money based on brands in their deck that, uh, is it AVG, the name of this company? No, ABG. ABG. ABG Authentic had Brands bought. Group. Yeah. Right. Cool. yeah. Famously, hadn't even acquired. Famously bought Barney's and then um, closed it. <laughs> so. Yes. That's who did that? Yeah. yeah. Very, very sad moment for New Yorkers. Murderers. Uh, uh, so the observation I had was, you know, if you raise money on a bogus claim, mm-hmm. uh, a claim that's not true, now other investors can say, okay, you misrepresented and, you know, uh, you know, things don't go well. They have this uh, claim of securities fraud and they 
literally this sort of the hint, time. right? They didn't claim it to be clear. Well, like they, that was a they, well, they hinted did say strongly the word securities fraud. <laughs> yeah. They did say you put it in the deck a brand that we didn't even own at the time. Yes. So mm. you made a misrepresentation. Which, and so then the interpretation was had Bolt raised money off of that yes. untrue uh, customer base that that right. could mm-hmm. constitute securities fraud. What's so interesting is how scorched earth it is. So even if ABG ends up with the 5% stake that's backdated at a lower valuation and they walk away with somewhere between 300 and 500 million dollars, have they put Bolt in the ground with this lawsuit by them, yeah. just completely disparaging them? Mm. Yeah. So to the point of um, alleged securities fraud, um, I don't know <laughs> a ton uh, or, or have substantiating ev- evidence or even substanti- substantiated reporting to talk about that. But if you're signing on a conglomerate, right, that owns quite a few brands, quite a few companies, um, touting that partnership as potentially leading to a lot of revenue by being in the checkout solution for most, if not all of those merchants in time, to me, makes mm-hmm. sense from, mm-hmm. for, from, as a, as a, if I were fundraising, right? Obviously, it remains to be seen, or maybe it's out there and I just haven't looked, um, whether or not they said we actually do have these brands live mm-hmm. or can count them as merchants, or we have some of them live and they have however many other brands that we also can negotiate to work with. Um, right just to show you how much money we can potentially make from just this one partnership. Right, right. The latter, to me, is innocuous. The former, obviously, is a little sketchier. Um, yeah, could be actionable. Um, well, and, right. well, and it sounds like ABG may not have cared, right? That's like, because mm. it's not unheard of to puff yourself up in a right. deck. A little peacock. And it's very it? possible that ABG wouldn't have cared had there not been this other... Yes. several hundred million dollar situation at stake right yeah yeah this um, is like one of those divorces where like every horrible thing that right. happened in the marriage <laughs> is like and by the way there was this time you didn't hold the door for me and uh, this happened and that and you're like okay guys just get divorced and like let us all be done with this drama yeah right, right. so long term uh, y- you mentioned you're not that bullish on amazon prime as uh, or buy with prime as competition to bolt it, Bolt, according to your story, it seems like so far in 2022, the prospects for its revenue growth don't seem to have improved. But where do you sit on the competitive landscape in general? Like, could Bolt still emerge as a winner or is it all Shopify all the time? Well, I mean, the, the Shopify piece is, is really interesting because ostensibly Bolt is, you know, competing with Shopify. And here's how. So... When we when we did our, our reporting and we saw that um, in the in the first three months of the year, it looked like Bolt's merchant base had um, contracted a bit. Um, and we did I did reporting and realized that you know part of that was just some merchants were migrating to Shopify from either BigCommerce or Magento or what other e-commerce software platforms they were using before for their storefronts. Um, if a merchant decides it wants to jump ship to Shopify, Bo has a harder time integrating with that Canadian giant because Shopify doesn't want its clients to use any checkout system outside of ShopPay because that's the company's bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, both merchants were migrating to Shopify from BigCommerce and Magento, as I said, and this meant that they often had to leave Bolt behind. But here's the thing. 
Shopify powers mostly small merchants that don't, from reporting I've done, that don't make a lot of money. The bulk of their revenue base actually comes from Shopify Plus, for which they have the tens of thousands, not millions of merchants, right? So they actually don't have a monopoly on that space. Um, and Bolt is intended on going for and courting merchants that have single digit millions to hundreds of millions of dollars to even billions of dollars in annual sales. Um, so I think it can still compete. Again, I think it's the timeline that it might be promising investors. It might be promising itself and employees. It might be promising reporters, the world of when it can scale to, you know, a huge level to be, to justify evaluation in the tens of billions of dollars. Um, versus whether or not it can succeed. I think I think this company can succeed. I just think that the time, especially with the revenue model change, the timeline might be a little longer um, mm-hmm. for it to hit the scale that it might be um, hoping to achieve. All right. This has been so amazing. Good. Malik, so good. great job covering the space. Uh, let us know when you got the next, uh, when you got the next uh, big scoop. You ever have this? Uh, you, hey, did you watch the We Crashed? Did you watch oh, the We Uh Malik, 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 Malik. Yes, yes, yes. Right? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. 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 Rivka, <laughs> you yes. drink the Don Julio in 1942, Malik? You had it, no? The good stuff? Have you had the good stuff? No, yeah. I, I liked, I mean, did you, what did you all think? I like We Crashed. I loved it. Oh, so it. good. I mean, okay, so I, I'm biased. I, I think Jared Leto has one of the most interesting and scary faces, but I can't stop staring. He's so compelling. Same. Same. Love Jared. And Hathaway is like the love of my life. So... I, w- I was on board immediately. She's the love of your life. I find her to be like the most annoying person. I can't stop watching. Are you she joking? Is- I'm leaving. This God. is like, I should have, I should have, I should have declined. <laughs> no, just like the devil wears Prada invitation. and this, she you plays. Jo- okay, I, I should have, you should have, I should have declined the invitation. This is blasphemy. Hey, How yeah, you yeah. telling me she doesn't play annoying <laughs> girlfriend, wife, really good? <laughs> she, she plays everything really good. She's a, right, an amazing enough. actor. She's, everything oh my god but yes i know she she also plays into the trope of 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 her as an entity being annoying which she totally is not to me but she does play that up and she does it to incredible effect so i mean i think those two if this was a movie version i would say they should have gotten oscar noms but obviously they should both get emmy and odds and i i fabulous performances win everything win everything all right, we so, cannot um, stop. We can't stop. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, a bottle of Don Julio, nineteen forty-two. Should you be allowed to accept it, uh, is on the way to your house. <laughs> we'll I, talk. I don't know if you're over twenty-one or not. <laughs> I, know. So we might need I appreciate. To. I appreciate that comment. I am. Thank over goodness, 21. I was going to ask that too. I'm like twenty-two. Oh, I, <laughs> I am sitting on the front door of thirty. So my birthday was actually this okay. past weekend. I turned twenty-nine. I'm not thirty yet. I had a birthday party okay. with family. And they're like, you're thirty this year. I'm like, stop saying that. Okay, exactly. we're not. We did not yet. lose that many years to <laughs> pandemic. Happy <laughs> birthday! Thank you. We'll discuss yeah. when I was twenty-nine in New York gift. in 1999. Man, I own that town. I was on. I was. I was running New York, man. I can imagine. I, I was on Charlie Rose, New Yorker feature cover of the New York Times, running my own magazine. Man, I that was. Just give Malik six more months, and he will be right there. New York, we'll be right, we'll be right there. New, I think feel like New York's going through a renaissance. Young people having fun in Dimes Square, running around town. Yeah. It's yeah. a. Feels like when New York gets a little bit edgy, it's mm-hmm. a lot more fun. Like in the nineties, oh, it was sure. edgy. It yeah. was edgy AF, as the kids say. Like I yes. lived in a commercial loft 
mm. you know, like illegally built my own bathroom. People were just doing it. We would go yeah. out to like robot, save the robots at 4 a.m. to listen to electronic music. Nobody cared. Mm. It was like, oh, you can't serve booze after four o'clock. It was like, it doesn't matter. We're going to oh. dance until 12 p.m. Yeah. Like it was wild. Yeah, stuff like that's still going on. It's happening more so in Brooklyn than Manhattan, but that's yeah, what I heard. Yeah. Stuff like that's still going on. When I grew up in Brooklyn, if you had a Brooklyn driver's license and you tried to go to the Limelight or Palladium or Roxy or whatever in Manhattan, if you gave them your Brooklyn license plate, they would your um, driver's license. They hand it back to you and say, "Sorry, no B and T." So they mm. no bridge, bridge and tunnel. Bridge and tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't allowed Brutal. in the club, so I had to get a fake. I went to St. Mark's place and got a fake NYU thing, and you just give your fake NYU student card wow. and they would let you in <laughs> at that time like they were like we don't care if you're 18 21 whatever do you have 20 well, we bucks care to if you're from convert? brooklyn they did care about that actually <laughs> yeah. yeah they didn't really like, age, didn't no. now brooklyn, you come yeah. to brooklyn and you have a manhattan license and they'll turn you away keep up the great please work let us back. know when you got your next soup please come back and don julio on the way all right okay thanks for coming take good care it's good Thanks for coming. So good. So good. See Enjoy you that springtime, spring energy in New York. Spring energy in New York. Oh, man. Wow, man, the does spring that guy in New York it? was great. I miss New York so much. Spring in New York back. is amazing. Uh, I got this. I'm having this like negotiation with my wife. I'm like, oh, really? the kids are gone. They're in out. 12 years, 62 years old. I want to go back to New York. So I'm saying, just get myself a sick townhouse in Greenwich Village or like a sick, like, Across from Bandits, oh my, my God, favorite townhouses it. in the city are in the village, right across from Bandits and the Village Tavern. They're so awesome. Yeah, that's there. what I want. Just give me one of those. And then I'll just be like an old, I'll be like 62 and retired, talking about past victories, investing in people's I'm just saying bars. Brooklyn's so much better than Austin. Uh, you went to Austin recently or no? No, I just spent a lot of time in Austin and it's great. Mm. And if I was going to choose somewhere to end up, mm. I would choose Brooklyn over, over Austin. I, you know, it's Austin's so got fun, a really lively. cool, it's not, it's cool. Yeah, Brooklyn's great. Um, Austin's cool, uh, but it's like, crowd. It's Austin like, feels like the city of the future. Like they really do have this, we could build and do any, it's like literally like a boom town. It feels like a boom town. Like we're going to just build everywhere. Like everywhere you look, cranes and things being built and people are like, yeah, you want to build something? Approved. And they're like, yeah. I, no, no, I, I was just coming in here to use the bathroom. They're like, approved. And you're like, no, what do you want to build? Proof. Put it with condo. <laughs> you're like, no, I was just going to ask you for direct directions to, is there a Starbucks around you? Like, approved. You want to build a Starbucks? Approved. <laughs> they approve everything. <laughs> I know. Pretty Which great. is why it's going to be freaking unlivable in like five years. No, more livable, Molly. Look what they did here when they said no more units. And it's like everybody well, was yeah, at each other's true. throats. And then you just slowly kill it. I'm just saying every boom bust, but Brooklyn, like New York endures. New York indoors, yeah. They they went on a little building, um, you know, run in New York where they're just like in Manhattan. Yeah, buy all the rights around you. So in Manhattan, like, um, if you own like a two-story building, you have air rights to 20, let's say. And the air rights are pretty generous. So then what happens is somebody's like, I'm going to buy these five buildings or I'm going to buy the air rights from these four and I'm going to build an 80-story tower and I'll... And then, you know, you're in New York. Like, people are like, I can't see the sun. They're like, go to Central Park. Go to the West Side Highway. Shut <laughs> you don't even see the sun. And so it's just a city. <laughs> you you want to see the sun? Yeah. That's what the Hamptons are for. Go go up to the yeah. Catskills. Like you want to see yeah. the sun? Like <laughs> really? <laughs> Who cares about the sun? Like there's plenty of places with sun on the West Side Highway. You know, like you watch the sun go down. 
Uh, oh my <laughs> it's God. pretty funny. Cares about the sun in, is my favorite thing. That is my no, favorite. No, in San Francisco, they're like, people are trying to build like eight stories to, you know, and they're like, you can build three. And they're like, why? And they're like, because you're blocking the sun. And they're like, where? And they're like, on this nursery school, you know, these four kids go out to the backyard and they need sun for this two hours and you're, you're reducing it to 90 minutes. And like in New York, they would be like, take those kids to the West Side Highway and they can have sun or wherever, you know, like <laughs> you don't, you don't have a God given right to have the sun everywhere, you know, like, sorry, there is, there's this concept of shade. That's such a like out of context. That is the most astonishing. That's like a, a, a line from like Wally or something. You don't have a God given right to the sun. Yeah. Like, like we just, just we just put a big ass umbrella over your city. Boom. Well, listen, done. you could look up and see the sun at some hour, right? Like you can go onto 14th Street. If you look straight up, there's like 45 minute window where the sun's over you. Other than yeah. that, yeah, we're not, not here to sunbathe. It's sound, a goddamn city. Yeah, I don't mean this to sound like an argument against density. I'm pro density. Yeah. Bring on the building, for God's All right. sake. All right. In other news, <laughs> um, I was really busy this weekend uh rescuing kittens. I don't need a medal. I but keep, we, we saved two kittens. Did you weekend. save them? Oops. Four of them didn't make it. Two of them did. Um, but we, it was a really hard decision, Molly, because I'm reading on, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a cat person. In fact, I just, I kind of don't like cats. Uh, although these two kittens are winning my hearts. Everyone always says that at first. Yeah, exactly. So that we hear these crying kittens like all day long yesterday, we kind of find them in the, in the Ivy in the backyard. So I'm reading online. It's like, stay away. The mom will be back in somewhere between like two and 12 hours. And uh, so we're like, oh, God, did we scare the mom away? What's going on here? We're waiting. We're waiting. We're trying to figure it out. I'm getting advice online. Long story short, uh, you're not supposed to screw with the kittens until it gets cold or they're in danger. So it's getting a little cold. It's overnight. They're still yelping. And that means they're in distress. So, you know, 10 o'clock at night or so we we go start cutting out, cutting the um the ivy and my, my daughter uh the 12 year old finds two of the six still alive uh four of them didn't make it sadly um Ooh. which is crushing um yeah. but uh we saved the two thank god we were home if we had been in you know tahoe or away they would have just all six would have died uh sadly but the mom obviously abandoned them for some reason we don't know or maybe the mom's in distress herself we got the two uh and overnight we fed them and they're thriving again they're move they weren't moving when we took them out of there and they were trapped in the in the, in the ivy when my, my family took them out mm -hmm. my, my daughter but they're alive and uh we're gonna have two cats up for adoption probably in six weeks or so we got to nurse them back to health and they're eating and they're moving around climbing but their eyes are shut so cute babies uh, that yeah. is so darling and such a good deed and there's no situation there's no chance you're putting them up for adoption no, 100%. They're not staying because I'm getting another bulldog. So we're going to have a pair of bulldogs here who will eat the and cats. And then you're going to have one of those really cute um, Instagram accounts where the kittens and the bulldogs snuggle. Because no, no. if you get a puppy and then you have I'm baby kitties, cats. I'm they're allergic. not going to eat each other. I'm allergic to cats. But yeah, anyway, my point was here, will cure that. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, watch the Warriors game, take care of my kids, save so much kittens, going on. birthday party. I had a board, I'm philosophy board call this weekend. I got a lot on my plate. You're very busy yeah. too. No, I was like, I was like, I'm adding to it by lobbing philosophy bombs into the group chat. Like it's not. Oh my God, with the philosophy bombs. Going on. Here we go. <laughs> oh my Lord. And like, everybody's trying to figure out people's motivation. Anyway, putting all this aside. Um, my feed is like going crazy with the board ape maker Yuga Labs, you know, being canceled and yep. the crypto people losing their minds. And, you know, I just was like, I can't figure this out. Because you know when something happens in crypto, it's like... It's so complicated. 
if you're not, it's like people who are watching like NBA Twitter or you're watching soccer Twitter and you don't know the names, the teams and everything going on and you're trying to back into it on Twitter. You ever try to do that? Mm-hmm. And you're yes. like, can somebody just explain this to me? It's like, oh yeah, it's too early to explain it. But we need to explain this because this is a really um, interesting story uh, around Web3 uh, still trying to get the rails and the plumbing working. Maybe you could explain to people, they've heard of the Board Ape Yacht Club. That's the NFT collective mm-hmm. called Yuga Labs. Yep. They decided to do another project and then something went wrong. Can you explain to us what happened, Molly? Yes, I can explain it in uh, by paraphrasing the Noti Gangs, uh, James, who says, Yuga Labs shat the bed. Ah, it was a yes. shatting. It was a shatting. I think that it was big a shatting. Big shatting or medium shatting? Pretty, pretty, like a pretty grande, like bigger than a poop bag shatting. Got um, it, got it. So they, they amber herded the bed. Got it. Keep going. <laughs> amber herded the bed. Allegedly. Okay, so Yuga Labs minted a land sale. I guess, like basically had a huge drop, right? They sold these- uh, A huge drop? Huge drop okay. uh, of, of shat. Tens of <laughs> thousands of plots of like, I think land in the metaverse, if I understand it, but did it all at once. And so then everybody went crazy trying to buy it. And then there was this 120X surge pricing for Ethereum ah. gas transactions, because mm. as everybody tried to jump on and buy these plots, like, yay, we're getting- we're going to get it. Then it, the network was overloaded, as mm. I understand it. And so gas fees at some point, Yuga Labs raised $285 million by selling these 55,000 new NFTs at $7,000 each. But the gas fees mm-hmm. cost the buyers oh. $176 million. At some point, Got I think it. gas fees were like up to $6,000 per transaction. Oh, okay. Great. They, which was they bananas. It, people paid it anyway. Because they're so desperate to get anything that Yuga yeah. Labs does, they were willing to pay a fee of 50% or up to 100% apparently in transaction charges. Right. Which is quite paradoxical because the whole concept of cryptocurrency is that you are going to be eliminating fees and lowering fees and making the war and, and fighting the power. Why can't the fees <laughs> be less than Visa? Like, this is the great failing of crypto. You'll have to get your together right. and stop grifting because this is two levels of grift in my mind. One, <laughs> the NFTs themselves. <laughs> Yuga sold plots of land worth nothing Virtual. for hundreds of millions of dollars that have clear, no yeah. purpose in the world. I know that yeah. they will have some purpose someday. Maybe, perhaps, you'll put your VR headset and go in there where they're collectibles. But let's be honest, they're selling vapor. Mm-hmm. And then on top of selling the vapor, people had to pay huge fees to buy nothing. Mm-hmm. Because and the this fees is why people hate Web3. I mean, it really is because the fees themselves are, are variable, right? So they uh, rise and fall according to capacity. If again, if I am understanding that correctly, and this is a large, yes, if, the, so that when no, that there's limited correct. capacity, yeah. yeah ex- so there's a supply and demand in what is basically taxes. It's yes. like, I feel like Ticketmaster looked at what happened over the weekend and was like, oh, hot damn, we're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right Ooh, now, I'm sorry, Uber price surge very... pricing is like, and you guys hate us? <laughs> right. What? Totally. This was the ultimate surge pricing. That is the perfect metaphor for this. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. And you know, Ticketmaster was like, oh, hell yeah, we're doing this next time. 
So oh, then Jason so in our group chat today rolls in with oh, the we're best. Oh, screenshot in the group chat now? Okay, that's fair the, game. Let's go. <laughs> I with got the, some Molly classics. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all 14-year-old boy jokes either. Um, either. And says, hey, why don't, this is like, I love it when it's the, the most obvious, easy, perfect question ever. Well, why don't they just release their big drops over 24 or 48 hours to keep the gas fees down? Obvious. Right. We don't if even it's supply know. demand and the network is surging. Right. Like what Travis did was, and I collaborated with him on this back in the day was he wrote a blog post about surge pricing on New Year's Eve and how to avoid surge pricing. And he's mm. like, you know, get to your party before eight o'clock or nine o'clock because everybody's going to the party at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock to get there right before the ball drops. And then, mm -hmm. you know, if you leave the party, uh, you know an hour later you know the, you know at 1 a.m you're going to do better than leaving in 12 midnight to 1 a.m so if they just said listen we have a thousand i don't know how many of these nfts they dropped but let's say it was a thousand well in 24 hour period right you know you just release whatever it is per hour 40 an hour thousand yeah yeah i mean it must have it had to have been pure hubris one thinks so like Mm -hmm. Producer Justin, because we don't honestly know, Justin, Producer okay. Justin saying, well, one way other projects have managed this is with an off-chain reservation system. Again, just like buying tickets, right? When, yes. like, when you really want those Hamilton tickets, you could go online and get into a queue. And then when it was your turn. Yes. But I think that would just be too centralized of a system. So in this case, they let the market work it out and drop their $55,000 at oh. once and just, you know. Because a centralized system whole, would make more sense. They would make it more. It efficient because it has yeah. to work centralized it has to yeah this is like if you went to the deli you know you go to the deli and they give you pull the number and now yeah. serving number 32 like that exists for a reason you know like and this would be like if you pulled that ticket and they're like now serving who's willing to pay four thousand dollars to get a bagel <laughs> and you're like just like let people queue it's not the end of the world i don't think it's the end of the world i don't yeah, know yeah. yeah anyway it just apparently uh, went bananas. I can't honestly, though, even tell if the crypto <laughs> world mm. is mad about this or no, if no, they, they just were went ahead fire. and paid. People were on fire, but so they sold 55,000 NFTs mm -hmm. for hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and, and 176 million of those dollars were taxes, basically, were ticket fees, were ticket master fees. Got it. All right. That varied according to demand. Okay, it is what it is. It is you what know. it is. Like if you're, uh, if I guess the crypto space didn't like this, but fifty five thousand people bought or wallets, fifty five thousand wallets, bought these things. So, mm. I, well, this I, is I am totally for, going just great. I am totally for variable pricing, um, and I just don't like this price gouging of fees. So, you know, here's another idea: they could have made this an auction. Uh, and they could have said, you know, here, we have 55,000 of these and just say what you're willing to pay. And, uh, what's the max you're willing to pay for one and how many do you want? And mm -hmm. then just let the auction do it. Uh, so I, uh, you know, there's that way to do it too. You could do a drop, you can do an auction if you want to maximize price. I guess doing a drop is the most fair way to do it. Um, but who knows? I'm sure there's all kinds of developers who have ways to sniping, you know, these sales and sniper tools. So it generally isn't fair. The fairest way to do that is to let yeah. people sign up, I guess, with phone numbers, emails, reservations. and do a reservation system check and then limit the number they can do. Or what they could do is just not let people sell these for one year. Uh, that's another possibility. So you lose the flipping. 
there's all kinds of ways to do this. What the Grateful Dead we used to do was you would send the Grateful Dead um, a an envelope with stamps on it and a money order. And it was a little bit, uh, and, you know, they would, I guess, sort them, alphabetize them, whatever. It was just harder to do this. And if you were part of the collective uh, that wanted dead tickets, they did their own ticketing and they would sell you the tickets directly. Um, and then some of them would go to Ticketmaster or whatever, but they wanted to make sure real fans could buy them. And uh, okay. Yeah. So there you have it. Evidently. And then Solana went down at the same time because I'm, you know, I uh, got a bunch of venture friends who invested in Solana or the funds that invested in Solana. Um, Was that related? Well, no, it wasn't right, related but- except that Web3 <laughs> took two shots in the bed. Oh. It was a double was, deuce. It was a double shatting, a double deuce. Yeah. It was a, a bad it was weekend. A double deuce. Bad weekend for crypto. It was a weekend for, weekend for Web3. <laughs> but Solana going down is is related in that Solana was supposed to be faster, cheaper transactions to compete against Ethereum. Right. Uh, Ethereum. I don't know what's going on here that they can't keep Solana up and running, but they can't keep it. This is like the second or third time they've had a big outage, which I guess could be expected I, you know the big picture here for me molly is at what point are people going to ship something other than nfts and money store and this is a i think right it's web 3's do or die moment i think i think this is all going to collapse in the next year so you can bank this as a as a uh, prediction so i hope i don't professor galloway this but i think that the free money in the economy uh you know and the pandemic ending and then people having other things to spend money on and inflation is going to make this asset class you know and any other speculative assets class it could be stonks you know like gamestop it could be crypto and it could also be watches and, and other stuff i think this category of you know let's call it highly speculative highly speculative assets mm-hmm. is going to move to well, I have to live my life and I got bills to pay. And so mm-hmm. maybe I have half as much money for this. And if everybody has half as much money for this, a third as much money for this, well, then people are going to be more discerning. So you might not see it in Yuga Labs properties. You might not see it in Bitcoin, Ethereum, but you might see it in other projects where people's, you know, uh, propensity to just buy the stuff YOLO and speculate I think people are going to start going to Vegas again and, you know, going to basketball games and just enjoying life. So crypto really needs at this moment in time to really start providing value. So if this Yuga Lab stuff is going to have a value in the world, like video games that they're, you know, in these worlds are going to be actually have some thing other than collectability to them. I would highly recommend to anybody who's a crypto founder to ship product that provides value in the world and enough with the selling of assets before you provide value in the world that's the fundamental problem i have with a lot of these things is they're selling like this project you know these plots of lands are going to be worth something these nfts are going to back into something you you better provide something quick because people can only spend so much money on this until they demand some value and i I think we're we're getting to that point i often think about the interview that we ran that i did with elise colleen who okay. was a she was part of the first time fund manager angel uh-huh. series but what was so interesting is that she you know has raised this fund it's almost like there's a serious side of the crypto world and mm-hmm. an unserious side 
of the crypto right. world. And she was like, we are laser focused on the Bitcoin network, the lightning right, network, the value that Bitcoin provides as potentially currency, mm -hmm. contracts, mm -hmm. and a fundamental technological underpinning that could be applied to almost every business. She's like, mm -hmm. we're laser focused on figuring out where you build value on chain okay. versus where you don't. And we're not around with any of that other crap. That other crap is like how it's all going to get sorted or its reputation will be ruined. But I think that is fundamentally the unserious side. It's the gambling. It's sort of like art for profit. But what's so interesting is how much money is headed into the unserious side. And I just sort of feel like at the end of the day, Elise is going to be standing there alone, having ignored all of the sound, creating actual value. And I'm just super interested to like stalk her through this um, whole development. I, um, I want you to listen to that. She was, was listening to a podcast um, where uh, Wiesenthal uh, was talking to Levine. Uh, what's the phone? Joe Wiesenthal from Bloomberg has a podcast that I'm oh, yeah. actually going to go on. And um, talking to Matt, Matt Levine. Yeah. That and guy so, he's so good. He's a pretty funny cat. And he was basically <laughs> explaining how like yield farming works. And it was like, yeah, people put money into a box and get more money out. And there's some tokens. And it was like, yeah, it kind of literally described a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> and he's like, but you know, the box at some point will provide value. But for now, the box, it's the Odd Lots podcast. Shout out Just to the box. Odd Lots podcast, which I think I'm going to be on next week or this week or something. Sweet. Uh, Presh can let me know. <laughs> I, I said yes. I, I, I don't have time to do other podcasts because you and I are doing this. And if I have opinions, I was injured here. But I like this Odd Lots podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty wild exchange where people are yield farming and i was talking to somebody who's a, a high stakes poker player i wouldn't say his name but he stopped playing poker because he's making so money off this yield farming stuff and i was like can you explain it to me he's like not really mm -mm. uh they need money for liquidity i give them money they give me more money than i <laughs> gave them <laughs> and so it's more <laughs> profitable than paying high stakes poker and i'm like you're one of the world's greatest high stakes poker players you've made uh well i want to say the number because you could reveal it but let's just say tens of millions of dollars playing high stakes poker around the world yeah and uh he's just yeah. at a better table right now but he'll be back at your table soon enough he was at our table and you know, we were having a good time but he's like yeah i'm just not playing as much poker because you know this is just too easy i was like okay right when the poker players are like this is too easy <laughs> you know the grinders who are playing people in macau you know it's a little bit of a where's the yeah. old uh yeah sorry I need to unravel this oh uh, yeah it's been totally i have to red flags folks red flags, red flags are Everywhere. Right, what's else in the what else is in the news? Uh crypto people, please provide value. But it's good that they're stress testing it. I will say that. Well, yeah, exactly. We're gonna figure out if there's value thanks to a bunch of dum-dums. Like well, also like things go down. And Listen, their Twitter, money is not our problem. Twitter, I mean, Facebook was born out of the fact that they couldn't keep MySpace and uh uh Friendster up and running. Mm -hmm. And they were like, Oh, yeah, if we use this new software, we can keep it up and running and, and you know, Zuckerberg just stole their businesses out from under them because it was faster. Google yeah. search speed was like their number one way to increase usage right gmail number one way they increase usage they made it faster than other email programs superhuman same thing make it faster make it better and stress tested and twitter had the fail well for years right mm -hmm. so solana yeah. having their own fail well moment is fine it means that there's something at stake and, and they'll figure it out hopefully i think the idea of like a currency that you can trade across borders the you know way to send remittances to people without banks taking you know giant gas fees so to speak like all of that or even this idea of the blockchain oracle like a ground truth of data 
that can live on chain and and not be faked like there's a lot of business value there that will eventually be created and and what i think is happening on the other side right now is like a lot of noise that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna try to understand this deep and Mm. that and then move on (laughs) okay it's my plan we live in the future with today's startup of the day (laughs) gravity sketch which makes a 3D design platform similar to how Figma is a okay. 2D design platform. So apparently the big problem it's solving is the process of taking a sketch, like, oh, I drew a sketch of how this building should look, and mm. then converting it into a digital file in a team setting. Right. So I use Figma all the time now because the designers at inside.com that are building our, you know, social news, you know, community and social network. Uh, send me Figma designs and I look at them and I make notes on them. So it's a way to look at mockups of a website or an app, give commentary, iterate on them, see different versions. So this is doing this for VR, I guess. Yeah, virtual exactly. spaces. So you take so, a little sketch. So let's say like I had some landscaping work done, not that like a year ago or something, right? And you made this nice, it was just like a crayony sketch, like and there's going to be a mm-hmm. tree here and whatever. But if you could put that sketch in and then I put on a virtual reality headset uh, and then I walk through my mm. awesome new landscape got it virtually here's my new kitchen here's my then campsite. i would just be like take my money i mean honestly got this it. would sell projects like crazy i bet yeah right, let's I see think the we video. Have a video yeah let's watch the video here and see what we're working with if you uh, don't get the video version of the show spotify and uh has video now and apple Podcasts has always had video just search for this week in startups video and then you can go to youtube.com slash this weekend but let's yep. cue the video they have, while we're waiting for the video, uh, 100,000 users, including the product design teams at oh. Adidas, VW, and Reebok. You can mm. imagine doing pretty cool car design stuff here. The software is available for Oculus Meta. It's got a four and a half out of five star rating with 999 ratings. So almost mm. every customer has apparently. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm. <laughs> um, and then it's London-based, recently raised a $33 million Series A led by Excel. Okay, let's sportscast this. Here is Joey, uh, who's a footwear designer at, uh, footwear designer for Kanye, for Kanye. Mm-hmm. and he's sketching a pair and of Yeezys turning I guess. into a shoe yeah there you go Yeezys are always unrecognizable as shoes so that's why it's a little hard to tell what this is gonna turn yeah, into you know, I wear my Yeezys and they're completely <laughs> Nick bought me a pair of Yeezys they're completely ugly and I get so many compliments on them and I look I at them and I'm like why do you people like these <laughs> Every time I see somebody in like the world's weirdest looking shoe, and I'm like, what has happened? Then my son's like, look at those Yeezys. Okay, so now we're seeing also car sketch mm-hmm. uh, happening. So it literally is just like it's a pencil sketch. Right. And then boom, it turns into a concept car. Love it. And then when it's a concept car, you're using your, I guess you're using uh, the handles that you use with your Quest, if you're using the Quest from Oculus. Mm-hmm. To then, you know, pull out the fenders, m- make crate flares, you know, like the Corvette has, uh, you know, we can kind of flare out some air intakes or, you know, move the car around and make it longer or shorter. It's pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, I guess what this would do for businesses too is save them so much money in AutoCAD. Like there's yeah. no, this takes out a whole entire uh, art department for one thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, right? I think. No, no, no. What it does is it, I think it's different. What it does is it takes the principals who are involved in decisions and lets them co- collaborate in real time. So remember when you would have somebody would bring up like write a word document, print it out, go to a meeting, everybody's got their red pens, they make a bunch of edits, and then somebody puts those back in the document. And then they're like, hey, you know what you could do is we could all edit a document real time. And they're like, wait, what version do you have? And you're like, no, it's there is no more versions. 
it's one living document and i can see you in the document and you know that's when like google docs real-time collaboration i guess zoho was one of the first to have that this is you know the designers usually making the this car but the person who's the driver of the car or the ceo or the chief product officer or the coo you know they don't get to go in there and edit unless they're over the shoulder here everybody gets to edit i guess in real time or make notes Mm -hmm. on or even see it develop in real time so you so you cut out that long thing where it's like we worked really hard and we used autocad and we made this thing and then you present it to the ceo and they're like hate it yeah this i mean this is what we do with you can hate it uh, earlier envision and figma are the two leading for web design where you can go in and watch the designer make the website they're making different versions of it and uh you know i'm always making notes about the copy or i make a note and i'm like hey this is three steps can you make it one step so all i'm doing now with the inside.com social network that i made is trying to figure out how to make every action one you know two once you know if it's four steps make it two if it's two make it one Mm -hmm. and uh it just takes a whole you have to change everybody's thinking because everybody's like okay yeah step one this step two step three i'm like are you using the site like do you want to do three steps or can i just like have a button so what i did was i said here's a list of our newsletters just click subscribe and they're like yeah put your email in and then click subscribe and then get a catch bomb like no you're already logged in just click subscribe and they're like okay well for events and then they show me this like seven step events i'm like why don't you put rsvp for events they click rsvp it sends them an email with the details of the event and then refreshes that little page and says add to your calendar or invite a friend and they're like oh wow that's genius i'm like is it is not how all modern apps work work? but it's not how all modern apps work everybody makes things three steps yeah as we were talking about it's always been three steps so why change it yeah. Or you try to do something comprehensive and like, so there, there could be legitimate, like, well, what if I accidentally press the RSVP button? I'm like, what if you did? I'm like, okay, then just say, you know, un RSVP, you know, put that on the page or in the email, say, if you don't want to come click here, but you know, yeah. like let, let, let people run, let people click things, you know, and make it <laughs> no steps. And then I like did the same for moderation. So for moderation, this is something I want to mock up for elon and for the twitter team like for bots when somebody replies with a bot it should just say if if the algorithm thinks it might be a bot right because they reply to elon or jack or me with cryptocurrency giveaway and it has cryptocurrency giveaway bitcoin giveaway free any of those words in it it should just have a thing that says uh is this a bot do you think this is a bot and you're like prob yes definitely probably don't know you just have three Mm -hmm. words now you're scrolling through it costs nothing for a human to click definitely and you know you get three definitely's it goes to it gets turned off it goes to review it gets paused whatever shadow banned whatever uh and, and or it collapses and says three people reported this as bots and you can unclick it or the person can say you know whatever appeal that they're not a bot it'd be a lot easier i didn't mm-hmm. you know all the and then I, when you report something i don't did you give up on reporting tweets on twitter oh, yeah. Ages ago. See, I think that the Twitter team was like, you know, what would be good if you did all the work. Right. And exactly. they're like, well, I'm not doing that. Report. You know, like click the hamburger, or the, you know, three dots. Click report. Who are you reporting for? Me, somebody else. Who are you? What is this? How much is this? Do you want to block them? It's just like, do you want me to email you later and we can and talk I'm about just this? Like, it's eight Should steps, I send the cops folks. to your house? Right. Like, no. It's eight steps. Eight steps too many. You should be able to report it and it should just say, um, report and block. You hit report and block, 
it's reported and blocked. And then it says, would you like to give us more information? So you can one click report and block. Now you know just how many people reported and blocked it 100. And then six of them, you don't need everybody to put the details in, but there's six maniacs to put the details in just like yeah. Wikipedia. So th they're just not thinking through the user experience of how to make things simpler for users. Yeah. So on my system, when I'm building it inside is and I'm testing it with our internal people. If you see somebody report something, if you go to inside.com slash new, you can see this if it's self promotional, you just click report and it shows you five report types, uh, spam, low quality source, uh, duplicate self promotional. And so when I'm on the site, I'm just like, beep, self promotional, beep, self promotional, we're not, you're not supposed to submit your own stories, kind of, or, you know, bull like press releases or spam. And so I'm just like, boop, self promotion, and then it puts a flag on it self promotional. And now people can see on your profile that you submitted something self promotional. Yep. Um, and then that makes you not do it again. So imagine if on your profile name and showed, shame. Uh, well, consequences, you know, yeah. it's like, so if it, if it showed on your profile reported for harassment, or suspended mm -hmm. for harassment on this date, you could click it and you could see, here's why you were supported for harassment on Twitter. And here's your response to it. And here's how many people reported you for harassment and, and for what tweet, like, that'd be pretty great. Like if people supported it reported me for harassment for doing my, uh, you know, um, tweet with somebody sent me images of me and sacks and you know, broke back mountain. And I was like, this is pretty hilarious. Uh, if somebody's like, Oh, my God, sacks was like, you harassed me for that. I'd be like, Okay, great you know like mm -hmm. i was reporting you can actually see it that's the problem and i i, I did that yeah. did you do that shadow banning thing to see if you've been shadow banned the twitter website no so it turns out like my, some of my replies have been shadow banning. Oh. well i follow <gasps> a lot of people um so i think it's like if oh, you replies follow a lot of, to you no i reply oh, to your other replies people. to them were shadow banned yeah so if i reply to people it's what said, are you like, here saying they found examples of my replies not coming up in other people's threads, mm. which is like a light shadow ban. It's like, you can still see my stuff if you follow me. But mm -hmm. if I reply to some high profile person, maybe people don't see. Hmm. This is the kind of weird stuff that should be just. We should um, all know about. Yeah. Yeah. It should just be transparent because all it's doing mm -hmm. is creating this culture of like, you know, oh, they're banning the libs. They're banning the right wing. They're banning this group. They're banning that group. It's just like, just make it transparent. Like, just let people know. And let the person know that they've been banned or reported. I think that's part of the I'm telling you, I think this is why Reddit works and why Wikipedia works. Like you have, first of all, with the Wikipedia, you have an army of editors who care about you have transparency. Every yep. edit is on the record. You have an army of people who only care about the truth. And on Reddit, you have upvoting and downvoting. Like you have community level mm -hmm. moderation, which is all, you know, at some point we just all want to be like, this guy's an we'll get rid of him. Yeah. Let and us do that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Do Assuming they, we know it's a real person and not a bot. And then once that's solved, they have downvoting on. I know they were experimenting with downvoting on Twitter. I think the downvote. I think Twitter they decided it's negative. And that's Which I don't is like so the, hilarious. I think YouTube made a like, mistake. Oh, yeah, too. there's nothing else negative going on there. Like, give me a I like the downvotes on YouTube. It was like a great signal. I know that could be well, like. And then use it bullying. as a signal to the algorithm and not bullying. And like, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know. I like the downvoting on youtube i like to see on my videos which ones were downvoted i do like downvoting with um transparency so if you down maybe we should, maybe the solution is if you downvote you have to put your name on it yeah because that's kind of cool that could work that yeah could work. i'm gonna add that to i'm gonna add that to inside where you downvote and your name's on it and you can see and who then it prompts you to yeah. say why yeah 
Oh, really? So if you mm-hmm. downvoted it, you had the option to say, "Right, I think it's a low quality news source or, or a low quality news hmm. source." Right? Or yeah, uh, okay. Somebody make a take a memo. <laughs> Remind me of that. It's a good idea. Product. We're doing a little product design here at the end of the show in real time, uh, like you do. Um, we got a big week, a lot of news. Uh, so stick with us, and we'll see you on the next episode see you tomorrow. tomorrow.